come. Walk down the winding path. Don't mind the spooks and monsters. They stay hidden within the trees. There are mysteries in this world that you need to know, and paranormal truths that need to be told. Come, step up into the caravan while we share tales of old, as well as new accounts about things you thought only existed in your nightmares. Welcome back inside the caravan. Tonight, we will take you on a strange journey into the web of consciousness with our very special guest, MJ Benias. MJ is a theorist who critically and philosophically examines the weird. You can check him out on his own website, Terra Obscura, as well as his many contributions to the Mysterious Universe and Rogue Planet. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you very much for that. No, it's an honor. I'm excited to be on here. Oh, cool. I'm happy to be I'm happy to be one of the sort of the first guests on the show that's like solo <laughs> with you. This is great. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um so just to kind of jump right in, uh I will pose a a question to you. It's a little long-winded. Here we go. All right. Um so if separation is an illusion and we're all one and if we're able to create our own realities, how does this span out into the universe? Is that part of what we've created? And could our collective consciousness create a veil between this world and the next? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we might need to sort of unpack a few things here. Because um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, when we when we think about the idea of, of let's say, everyone being one or, or not, right? I think we need to first avoid, you know, sort of the traditional problem we get into, right? Which is sort of the materialist interpretation that, you know, I am not the table in front of me. Um, mm. Right. Um, right. Because ultimately, you know, from a strictly biological sense or from a strictly physical sense, I'm not the table in front of me, right? Um, if I burn this table, I don't feel what the table feels or I, I'm not affected by the burning of the table, let's say, or breaking of it right. or resting my drink upon it. Um, so I think when we, when we examine or when we look at the idea of, of let's say, separation or oneness, right, um, mm-hmm. I think we need to maybe appreciate that there's, there's sort of different, there's maybe different facets of this. So while physically the table and I are not the same, mm-hmm. I think potentially um, there may be um, some subatomic connection between myself and the table, right? Um, mm-hmm. A subatomic connection between myself, the air around me, and then the air that interacts with the table. You know, potentially there, there's going to be, you know, infinite amount of, of particles flying between us at all times, um, or or even sort of the building blocks of those particles, whether you sort of believe in string theory or, or some other sort of physical theory that would link everything. Um, right. But again, right, like on a real, just down to earth, realistic sort of standpoint, you know, I am not the table. And same thing with like you and I, right? You know, I'm not you, um, and, and you are not me um, from any, uh, I guess, uh, sort of nuts and bolts, you know, salt of the earth kind of explanation. <laughs> right. But, that makes sense. 
but I think, you know, again, if we, if we then think about sort of what consciousness is, and I think this is kind of where our argument maybe, or our, our conversation maybe needs to dwell a little bit mm-hmm. is um, we don't really know what consciousness is. Um, there's a, a long sort of, and it's been around since the beginning of, of sort of philosophical thought. Um, it's called the mind body problem. Right. Um, okay. And, and um, different philosophers have sort of weighed in and scientists and everyone, psychologists, psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. Um, and the issue is that we don't know where like th- the mind is inside the body. Right. So there's mm-hmm. no, um, <sighs> there's no, there's no like evidence that suggests that the mind um, um, like, sorry, there's no evidence that sort of points to where one's sort of consciousness is inside the brain or the body or whatever. So, um, mm. when we think about consciousness, we often think, you know, well, it rests inside the brain, um, and, and it's just sort of there. Um, mm. the problem is that no one has ever been able to figure out, um, the seed of that consciousness, right? No one's ever been able to figure out, well, if I, do this or do that. If I poke this part of the brain or poke that part of the brain, I'm getting rid of that person's consciousness or I'm altering that person's consciousness. There's no evidence to suggest that that's occurring, right? I can, I can cut the cords, right? So I can, for example, give someone a lobotomy, um, Mm -hmm. but I'm not necessarily destroying their consciousness. We can cut the cables, let's say, um, and, and interfere with the connections, but we, we don't really know if we're actually destroying consciousness itself. Um, So if you have someone, for example, who suffers permanent brain damage and they seem different to you, right? Because of an accident or let's say, you know, a collision or, you know, uh, getting shot in the head, um, whatever. Um, <laughs> you don't really know if, if that person's self is, is gone. All you know is that they can't communicate that self to you like they used to be able to, because all the wires have been sort of rearranged or, or damaged. Um, so I think the big sort of philosopher that everyone talks about in this, in this sort of realm is, is Carl Jung, who is um, a psychoanalyst and a student of Freud. And, and he kind of argued, you know, consciousness itself is potentially unified, or at least the unconscious mind is unified. So um, on a day-to-day basis, you and I walk around, we buy coffee from Starbucks and we, we you know, um, we, we go to work or whatever. Um, our conscious mind might not be unified, right? We have separate conscious thoughts. Um, I don't know what you're thinking and you don't know what I'm thinking. But Jung right. would say that potentially on an unconscious level, or sorry, an unconscious level, um, the background stuff that makes us all up is all one giant sort of web of interconnected, um, con- it's a one giant interconnected construct, let's say. I, 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 when I visualize it, I think of it like a giant spider web um, that right. goes in sort of all directions, not just sort of on a two-dimensional plane, but like on a three-dimensional plane. Um, mm-hmm. And we sort of all are sort of points or facets. Our conscious minds are sort of points and facets along this web. But what our conscious mind rests upon is this sort of unconsciousness that that links everything. All Everything that's conscious is linked together via this sort of unconscious web or unconscious network, let's say. Um, and he was kind of the one who really sort of hit it home. And he has a lot of examples and sort of a lot of arguments as to why and sort of his most common one is the idea of the myth or the archetype right he he sort of argues mm-hmm. that you know if you look at cultures across the planet um especially right. ancient cultures that have never spoken to each other um have never communicated with each other they all have sort of similar ideas of what um uh, of what it means to be human they all have similar ideas of of stories or, or story arcs that that sort of that exist um all all of mm-hmm. their 
stories have similar sort of characteristics or characters even with certain characteristics. So there's always going to be sort of the hero and the villain. There's always going to be sort of this representation of darkness as being bad and, and the representation of light as being good. Um, you're going to have characters that are sort of tricksters. You're going to have characters that are sort of shadow characters. You're going to have, um, uh, you're going to have sort of the typical, you know, uh, the, the, the sort of the wise old mother or the wise old father figure, you know, like there's these archetypes that exist. Um, mm-hmm. And they exist universally. So Jung would probably argue, I won't put words in his mouth, but he would probably argue, you know, here's a here's an example of of human sort of interconnectedness, right? Um, right. You have cultures that have evolved in totally different ways, yet they share similarities in, um, uh, in, in sort of uh, religious stories or, or or creation stories or or just sort of stories they tell around campfires. Um, mm-hmm. So that's sort of where we can maybe start our conversation. Um, this idea that maybe something is connected that that links all of us. What we choose to call it, I don't know, but um, right. There's an interconnectedness to all things. Let's say. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because when you put it that way, it's like you can't prove, as far as I know, <laughs> that we have a spirit inside of us moving us around. So right. what if the consciousness is specifically part of spirit? So that's why you can't find it? Does that yeah, make sense? so yeah, and I think I think you're sort of you're you're sort of dabbling in the right area, right? I mean, you know, for the longest time, you know, most religions will often argue, you know, you have a soul, let's say, you know, or, or a spirit, right? Is is the term, right? Especially in sort of the Judeo-Christian sort of tradition of 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 um a sort of theology, right? You know, people have souls or spirit. Um, I, I think we're sort right. of talking about the same thing here. I think, you know, again, um, one spirit uh, or soul um, from, let's just, if we sort of look at this from a, a totally sort of secular standpoint, you know, if we, um, if we just, you know, let's, let's not talk about sort of specific religious ideology or dogma, but if we just talk about sort of just on a purely secular level, you know, your mm-hmm. mind or your soul are probably the same thing, right? It's, it's, it's that which is you, right, inside your body um, or, right. or outside of your body, potentially, right, depending on your religious tradition, right? Your soul can exist outside of your body, um, mm-hmm. depending on um, sort of what you believe in, I guess. But yeah, I think, I think that's kind of the same thing, you know, like when you talk about the soul or the spirit or the mind or consciousness or, or your identity, um, the you-ness within you, um, for sure, that would sort of be a good way of looking at it. Um, okay, yeah. So, I mean, are you, ta- so you, uh, sort of in your first question, you sort of asked about like sort of seeing beyond some sort of veil. So can you, what, what do you mean by that? Like the veil when it comes to, um, you know, all this paranormal stuff mm-hmm. that just, I'm just trying to, to see that spider web and how everything is connected. You know, if, if things vibrate just on different planes or if our collected consciousness kind of created a veil between us and others. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, we need to sort of think of it that there's a veil, let's say, I think going back to Jung, he, he wrote a, um, an essay, mm-hmm. it's a very long essay, but it's an essay on sort of flying saucers. Um, and he goes into UFOs and he talks about the idea of, of people seeing UFOs. Um, and, and his theory mm-hmm. is that, um, that the UFO is um, that unconscious mind, that unconscious hive mind, right? Like the web um, uh-huh. um, sort of projecting 
the the anxieties and the fears and the desires of of all of us um, into sort of um, into our visions or into things we see. So people see UFOs in the sky, not because there's sort of an objective UFO there necessarily, um, but they see UFOs in the sky because they're the unconscious mind is is projecting that into their consciousness um okay. so they're seeing it where where jung starts to kind of stumble a little bit and he sort of admits to this is he says you know when what we don't understand is what happens when you have more than one person see a ufo so does that mean then the unconscious mind is projecting that ufo to multiple consciousnesses that are you know in the same place at the same time so if you have you know like the phoenix lights incident is, a, is an example where you had like thousands of people mm-hmm. see ufos you right. know does that mean that the unconscious mind is projecting the same image or the same sort of series of images across a thousand people who are sort of present in the same area you know mm. that for Jung is like he's at that point he's like I don't know right this is right um we can we prove all the time that people see things that aren't there and it's a projection of their unconscious mind he would say like from a psychoanalyst standpoint like that's normal right people have psychoses right. but once you start getting into sort of mass psychoses it, there are events mm. where this has occurred um but you know again it's kind of now you're kind of getting into kind of murky water here like how do we sort of prove that um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, Jung even goes further and he says, you know, what happens if that UFO, let's say, leaves a physical trace, like landing marks, or it shows up on a radar? Um, mm-hmm. This is now something completely wild and, and crazy, um, he would say, because ultimately, you know, can the mind then project something into, like, an objective state? So if I think it, can it become true, right? Um, oh, right. So I think sort of a common version of this is something like a tulpa, um, if you know what that is, from sort of certain... Yes. Yeah. So, so if someone can think about something hard enough, let's say, if someone can can concentrate and focus, can they make their thoughts become physically real? That is sort of the big question. And that's predominantly what a tulpa is, right? It's, it's Mm -hmm. the, it's, it's something that does not exist physically manifesting physically that it Mm -hmm. can walk around and open doors and bump into things. Um, And, and, Again, Jung would be like, I don't know at that point. But, you know, again, if we sort of think about, um, if we really want to go speculate, like if we want to really start speculating outwards, right? Um, mm-hmm. We could probably say, you know, a lot of paranormal activity isn't necessarily objectively real. It's not actually existing out there. Like there is no, let's say, Bigfoot walking around in the woods, um, or there is no ghost that haunts that house um, objectively, mm-hmm. in the sense that if suddenly all humanity disappeared, would that ghost still be there? Would oh, Bigfoot wow, right. still be there, right? Or rather, are we ourselves creating Bigfoot? Are we ourselves creating the ghost? Are we ourselves creating those monsters that go bump in the night? Mm-hmm. Um, but because we think about them, because there's enough of us thinking about them, are we making them real to the point where they can knock on trees or knock on doors or they can haunt and move things around in your home? Um, objectively right um right yeah are you giving sort of form to something that doesn't have form but because mm-hmm. you believe in it um because you're you 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 are able to sort of tulpa it you know maybe you're mm-hmm. making that ghost manifest let's say for a long time i've always believed that you know so everything's made up of energy even our thoughts and so the more energy that you put into something the more likely then that it's created you know and it goes to the to the spiritual side of things of of being these great manifestors of our own 
reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, people are going to have problems with this. Like, this isn't one, like, you know, sort of the like materialist science is going to definitely say, well, this is nonsense, right? Because you can't prove <laughs> that to be true, right? Like, right. You, you, there's, there's no laboratory that's going to be able to sort of prove this to be the case, which is mm-hmm. fine. I mean, you know, um, and then on the other side, I think you're going to have people within maybe the paranormal community who would have problems with this. So, you know, right. for example, you, I think, I think, especially within ghost hunting circles, right? Um, I've spoken to mm-hmm. a lot of ghost hunters and I often ask the question, I say like, how do you know it's the spirits of the dead? Like, how do you know it's dead people? Right. Um, right. Like, and what I mean by that is how do you know that it's, that it's, um, someone died, their spirit left their body or whatever, their, their mind left their body, their consciousness left their body. And now it's sort of back haunting, like, like a traditional sort of ghost. Right. Right. And say, well, you know, all the evidence points to that Twitch. I'm just like, okay, well, what evidence do you really sort of fundamentally have just because they say they're dead? Um, like I'm not necessarily sure if that's evidence. I mean, how do you know you're not projecting that? And, and it's your interpretation that is making that manifestation say that. Um, right. You know, because wow. cause ultimately, you know, you, you don't have the chicken or the egg in this case. Um, the ghost mm-hmm. is doing what it wants um, or or you're making the ghost do what it wants. Um, and if it's going to just say I'm dead, you know, ultimately right. you're, you know, um, so I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. So you're going to have people on both sides. Like you're going to have the, the Bigfoot hunters being like, what are you talking about? Like when I go <laughs> to the woods hunting Bigfoot, you're saying right. there is no Bigfoot. Like, yeah, there is no Bigfoot. Um, Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. Bigfoot shows up. Like, how did I just magically make this thing? You know, that's that's six foot tall and and her. Yeah. You know, no, yeah. I know. And see, that's that's the biggest thing that I enjoy though about doing the podcast and talking to people in the community is I I am really I don't want to get stuck in either camp. What I like to do is play with what if, like just mm-hmm. you know think about things and and. And go with it for fun, you know, yeah. on both sides. Yeah, no, and, and like it's not, this is not necessarily something sort of I believe in sort of wholeheartedly, but I think it's an interesting thing to think about because I think it um, it forces us to maybe reconsider a few of our assumptions. Um, I think the paranormal sort of community, um, and I'm going to lump sort of everyone like that's, you know, it, whatever esoteric paranormal stuff you believe in right whether it's ufos Mm -hmm. or bigfoot or ghosts or um you know loch ness monster or i don't know what else people believe in um Mm -hmm. mothman whatever you know if you really lump sort of the the big paranormal subculture community together you know we really um what people think they know they don't know right? They, mm, they just right. think they know it, or this is what I was told, or this is how I was taught, or this is what other people think. Um, right. Unfortunately, there's no evidence really to support much of it, um, or any of it. Um, mm. There's no evidence to support, you know, UFOs are caused by aliens. There's no evidence to support that um, ghosts are dead people. There's as much evidence to support that, um, you know, uh, Jung's theory of unified consciousness is what causes ghosts, um, mm-hmm. as there is to say it's dead people, right? There's there's mm-hmm. no real evidence that that like none outweighs the other, right? Right. Um, I think people just sort of have for the longest time said ghosts are dead people, therefore you know we believe ghosts are dead people, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, they just sort of roam around for some reason. Um, it's really I, interesting thinking of it this way because. There was an experience that I had with my daughter. My grandfather, he passed away in 2011. Uh And when I was a kid, (laughs) 
he would come home from the grocery store and there was those little, you know, five cent um, toy machines that it would pop out this little egg. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dinosaurs inside of it. So he would go to the store and he'd come back home and he would hide these dinosaurs in his pocket. And then, you know, he'd he'd just pull them out at these random times. Well, it's not something that I really, I don't know, talk about. There's no reason to really bring it up. And then my daughter, gosh, she was probably about five years old or so. Uh And she says to me, she comes up to me and she says, Papa Don has dinosaurs in his pocket. And of course, you know, at that moment, because we had lost him and everything, I just, you know, broke into pieces and everything. But it's interesting because then going back to what you said about the the unified unconsciousness, mm-hmm. it like I, I I'm curious how she is it that that pool that she was able to just tap into and like get a memory from it or yeah I mean okay so yeah first of all you know we don't really know how it works right if it if it if it exists at all let's say mm-hmm. um, we don't really know how it works. Um, so, so let's say someone, and I think, again, we can sort of speculate here, right? Uh-huh. Maybe it is like a pool in that, um, some people are just better able at tapping into that sort of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can, um, they can perceive things and they don't necessarily know why they perceive them almost like precognition. Right. Right. Uh, in this case, it would be more of, um, just like, I don't know, like a, a post cognition or a present cognition. I don't know, you know, but ultimately you'd be dealing with, with sort of this idea that um, the person simply just pulls a piece of information out um, and then just has it um, much like, like, you know, how precognition works, right? It's not like, you know, precognition is, is um, you can practice, I suppose, but ultimately you're just sort of there, you're just sitting there and all of a sudden an idea comes into your head. Um, right. And then you're like, Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. And then, you know, you kind of run with it. So maybe she somehow accessed, let's say the pool, Um, you know, we could also potentially suggest is just because someone's consciousness is no longer sort of physically present. So Mm -hmm. they have a body, um, but they've died. Let's say, does that mean then that their consciousness um, leaves the web, right. Of, Mm -hmm. of, of sort of the unconscious mind. Right. So are they then maybe, um, existing within that unconsciousness um do they then enter that web as whatever um Mm. um, oh you know and again from like a judeo-christian perspective right you know we would sort of refer to this as heaven or 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 the afterlife um Mm -hmm. you know um, what's to say then that what's to say that heaven is sort of a physical place and and not necessarily a sort of state of mind um and and Mm -hmm. literally by state of mind i mean you know the mind itself exists with its own sort of state um, Mm -hmm. and is sort of connected to the rest of consciousness itself, which would maybe answer potentially a few sort of ghost stories or a few sort of ideas concerning ghosts, right? You know, if that mind is still sort of milling about, can it not Mm -hmm. manifest itself, right? Um, Via, you know, appearing to Mm -hmm. you, let's say again, not sort of objectively there necessarily, but you see it. Um, um, again, where things get weird is where, you know, it starts to manipulate with reality. And, and that's a whole other conversation. Like it starts to manipulate physically with things. <laughs> that's a whole right. other sort of conversation that I think we can address. But, um, you know, I don't know, um, you know, whatever is happening, right? Um, mm-hmm. Let's say the unconscious mind is real. 
this is one I've always sort of wondered about. Um, if the unconscious, if let's say this unconscious web exists, right? Mm-hmm. Is it limited, let's say, to our sort of um, universal state? Or if, you know, as quantum physics is starting to sort of really dig into this idea of, of the multiverse, right? Where there's an infinite amount mm-hmm. of universes, are we also connected with ourselves in other universes, right? So um, mm-hmm. am I, is my unconscious mind connected to myself in every other parallel universe that exists, all infinite of them? Um, mm-hmm. So then in, in your daughter's case, um, maybe um, she was um, interacting with, this was your father or your grandfather? Grandfather. My grandfather. Maybe she was perhaps somehow interacting with your grandfather, sort of in another state of another one of these parallel universes, let's say, and then wow. um, it's simply because it's all connected, right? She was able to right. tap into that idea um, because your grandfather would carry dinosaurs in his pocket in an infinite amount of universes. <laughs> um, so that sounds cool. <laughs> Right. Um, so again, right. Like we can really speculate. This is all speculation. Like there's no evidence for any of this. This is all just a bunch of, you know, philosophical rambling, but um, it's interesting to consider, you know, our options here, which is kind of what we're doing. Right. Um, or I'm totally wrong. Like I could be totally wrong. And there is sort of an afterlife that's very literal. Um, and um, I, like, you know, his spirit came down and and informed her to you know there's dinosaurs in my pocket i need those now please um because the brontosaurus is really important to me um like <laughs> i i don't know right um right yeah it, it's tough to reconcile because ultimately like i'm i'm like I, i'm i'm sort of born raised and i'm practicing catholic so for me you know i have to really reconcile my um my sort of my my faith let's say as a person and then sort of mm-hmm. my philosophical compartmentalization of of like stuff that could potentially also be happening so i i don't know i think where things get interesting and i think that this is you know if people who hunt ghosts are listening to the show right now they're going to be like well what about emf meters and what about you know when the ghost pushes me um you know this is this is sort of where things get really interesting um there's um uh, a great uh um, he's a professor of theology i think um his name is jeffrey kripal He's written a couple books. He's he's terrific, um, and he's very interesting in the way he sort of interprets um, what what we sort of call the imaginal realm uh, or the imaginal. So, um, he he sort of argues, I guess, to really sort of simplify it is, and um, in, in one of his essays, he talks about monsters, mm. the idea of the monster, um, and he says, you know, we seem to we so, we sort of seem to separate the idea that something is sort of objectively real and then sort of imaginary right so when Mm. we're kids you know we're sort of told when we're little kids that the boogeyman is real so to us as a little kid there is a boogeyman hiding under my bed or a monster hiding under my bed and to me as a kid it's objectively there Um, Mm -hmm. i'm afraid to get out of my bed and go look because i know it's there Uh, Mm. and as we get older we realize that, you know, there is no monster under the bed. It's purely in our imagination. It can't hurt us, right? It, it does not exist in, in an, a sort of in a real sense that at least we sort of understand to be real. Mm-hmm. Kripal says, you know, why do we sort of, why do we think this is the case? Like, why do we think that there has to be a distinction between something that's objectively real, like a table, and something mm-hmm. that's imagined and inside your mind, like a monster? And he mm-hmm. argues that 
in sort of monster stories where people have experienced monsters, whether they've seen Bigfoot, whether they've experienced aliens, whether they've seen ghosts or whether they've, um, you know, had interactions with a mothman or whatever. Right. Um, he says it's pretty short sighted to say that the two are, that the two are separate things like objective and, and, and subjective. He, he says rather maybe they exist in this sort of um, it's more of a spectrum in that mm-hmm. um, if, if enough people or, or there's enough, thought about the monster um the monster becomes objectively real um but when no one's paying attention to the monster when they're when the monster's sort of forgotten about the monster no longer exists or at least it's just in the imagination um you know we can we can sort of say you know i'm sitting in this room right now and there's no mothman in here um so he exists in some imaginal realm for me he's part of my imagination but if i'm somewhere and um there's sort of enough, I don't want to say thinking about the Mothman, but there's enough, I guess, drive to, to make the Mothman manifest. The Mothman becomes objectively real in the sense that he can land on my car and leave dent marks on it. Um, and, right. and the idea of him being real or not real is not um, two separate things, but it's one connected idea that's a spectrum rather than, and there's no break between the two. So there can be shades of realness or objectivity and shades of subjectiveness and, and sort of subjectivity. So, you know, you see, you hear these stories all the time of the Mothman standing in front of me and I can, you know, I can, his eyes are staring into me and I'm scared and I can even smell him. Mm-hmm. Right. I can, he has, he has a, an odor and then he, he turns and he leaps off the building and I run to the edge and I don't see him anymore. Right. Mm, right. Um, right. It's because the Mothman has left objective reality for you and for everyone. He's not hiding. He's just gone. Right. right. And we have this in UFO cases all the time where people see UFOs um, and it's right there in the sky. And, and it's it, like they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And they, they, they turn their eyes for a second. They look back and it's gone. Right. Or the UFO right. is just there and then it just disappears from view. Right. Um, so, so the idea that it's both sort of objective and subjective simultaneously, uh, mm-hmm. and you can have multiple people seeing it because it's objective for that brief moment. It shows up on radar or, or it can leave landing marks on the ground or, or burn marks on a tree because right. for that moment it was real. Um, and then wow. it's gone. And, and yeah. Kripal would say, we, we shouldn't distinct, we shouldn't have a distinction between the two because there's no, there's no evidence to suggest there should be a distinction. Right. Yeah, see, it reminds me of um, Linda Godfrey's book, Monsters Among Us. There's a case in there where there was the dogman type prints in the snow, and then it just disappeared. The dogman did or the prince did? The prince did. Yeah, and that's, you know, stops. right? Yeah. yeah. So, it's crazy. yeah, it's interesting to think about um, because then it... it I think it, it answers a lot of loopholes, right? I think it fills mm-hmm. a lot of loopholes. I mean, it, it really addresses then why no one can ever get a decent shot at Bigfoot, right? Um, right. And why, wow. you know, anyone who's ever said they did shoot Bigfoot and killed them mm-hmm. can never produce evidence to say that, well, here's the, the body, right? See, <laughs> this this line of thinking for me makes everything almost more scary, you know, there was a there was a movie that I watched with my kids, and it was kind of like a Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark kind of movie. Classic, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was the title of it was Don't Think About It, because right. there was this book, and it was talking about this monster, but it said specifically, 
if you don't think about it and you don't worry about it, you'll be safe. And of course, what happens? The little kid he thinks about it, and it and it like you watch this thing, it it grows and grows until it's finally there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that would be really terrifying because then it doesn't matter whether it's a I don't know known cryptid. You know, like right. Bigfoot or whatever. That means that anything could just happen. Any monster that you could possibly think up, you could just boom, create right. it into being. Yeah, you know, and and it's interesting, right? Maybe you know. <laughs> again, this is yeah. I mean, we're speculating here, but right. <laughs> it's also interesting though when you really think about, um, you know, like our our society, you know, in North America. You know, we're so occupied by things, right? Like mm -hmm. we govern our lives with things, our cell phones, our laptops, our cars. You know, we go to Starbucks, um, right. we, we work our day jobs, we watch Netflix at night. Like, you know, we're like, we're so plugged into um, the material world. Not only that, but like, mm -hmm. you know, our objects that we possess, our possessions. Um, you know, right. generally we don't see strange or frightening things. We don't make monsters. Um, because we don't need to, right? Um, right. We've we've sort of we've sort of um, governed our time in such a way that that we don't allow the monsters to exist, at least for us. Mm, um, right. It's you know the monsters come when you're not occupied, right? The monsters come mm. when your when your schedule is all off. The monsters come when you exist in a state of chaos or or marginalization, or um, you're under heavy stress, or or mm. you know you've lost your job, or a family member, or um, you're alone in the woods at night. Um, you know mm, that's really when right. the monsters come, right? When you really look at the vast majority of um, you know let's say UFO stories, mm -hmm. you know a person's typically alone. Um, right. Right. Um, a person oftentimes in UFO events, you know, something is going on in their life um, that has thrown their life kind of out of whack a little bit. Um, mm. um, they're, they're experiencing some sort of stress um, right. or, or they're, they're in between something, right. Um, they just lost mm -hmm. their job or, or they're, they're, you know, they're, they think their marriage is on the rocks or, um, um, they're they're yeah, somewhere different, right? They're some they're not at home, or 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 they're in a new home that they just moved into. Um, mm. And and the same things with ghost stories, right? You know, a lot of ghost stories have similar. You know, where where you know people often say, you know, we're doing home renovations, um, and people mm. say ridiculous things like home renovations have upset the spirit um, because <laughs> dead people right. give a shit about your tiles. Um, but <laughs> but it's not necessarily that, right? right? It's the fact that you your home is a mess, right? Like you're like you're living in a state now where where your place of comfort, where you where you get away from the monsters um, right. is in a state of disarray. Um, mm. So that allows the monsters to come in. Right. Um, it, it's interesting. I think when, if you, if you really looked at a, the, a lot of, of, of people's sort of monster stories and I tie UFOs and ghosts into the, like my, the general term for monster. Um, I think if you look at people's monster stories, I think people are often who experience these monsters are in a certain sort of place where, where they're uncomfortable, whether they're anxious or afraid or depressed or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. That's when the monster sort of is able to not the monster itself, but that's when the mind begins to um, create the monster, whatever it is. Right. right? And that's why they're also cultural, right? Like, it's not like, it's not like, you know, like I'm in, I'm in Winnipeg. So, you know, North, I mean, I'm in Canada. Um, you know, I'm not going to see a chupacabra running around. Um, right. Because it's not part of my, my sort of um, 
it's not part of my ideological background. Like I, I chupacabras right. are not something that are part of my sort of my my mythology within my landscape or the mythology within my 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 sort of geography. Right? We don't right. have these sort of um, desert monsters. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I you know I would see something else potentially. Um, yeah, that maybe is a little more local to to sort of the mythology around my area. Right. You know, and it's interesting because as you're saying all this, thinking back to my personal experiences that I've had since I was a kid, each time, and, and it takes a little bit to really think about it because it, it seriously seems like there's been so much. Each time something happened, there definitely was something going on, mm-hmm. uh, whether I was fighting with my parents, um, just experiencing a general depression. You know, one of my biggest experiences that I had was I foolishly, I had made a um, a Ouija board and I was messing around with that. And then, you know, I could have definitely created the experience after that. But I remember laying in bed and there was just this really dark figure that stood next to my bed. And I remember feeling like I was held down, like there was an actual hand on my leg. Um, but, and it's interesting too, because uh, since I was a kid, I've seen a lot of, I always laugh and I call them, uh, Nazgul looking (laughs) shadow figures. Um, the most interesting thing about that is the fact that I experienced that since I was young. And then I found out that my sister had experienced it too, but I hadn't told her about it. And then, um... Fast forward to having my kids, and of course, it's not something that I really tell them. Uh, they hadn't known about it. And then one morning, one of them was like, Mommy, there was, you know, there was this standing in the corner of your bedroom. And she described it exactly like what I had seen. And then my sister, her uh, stepson, also experienced something like that in his room. Right. And so it, it'll be, it'd be interesting. I'd have to, uh, I'll have to see what was going on in her life too when she experienced it. If if there was trouble, you know, for sure. And I mean, I'm not sure. There's also sort of one answer to all this. I mean, ultimately, some mm-hmm. of your experiences or some of your daughter's experiences and and um, your friend's son, your sister's son experience. Yeah, sister yeah. stepson. <laughs> right. Um, you know, you don't know necessarily how much of that is necessarily directly let's say caused by some sort of monster phenomena or how much of it is imagination because you know mm-hmm. maybe they've overheard you talking about it or they saw a movie like you know like there could be cultural reference exactly. points as well right you know that's just because somebody um you know somebody may see something or have sort of a frightening experience or or, or have a dream or whatever you know again you know we're, we also exist within sort of a very you know obviously sort of media rich culture um mm-hmm. And and all that, you know, your parents talk about stuff and, and you overhear it and, and it just sort of yes. it just kind of slips into your mind and all of a sudden it just sits there and, and then five days later it, you know, manifests <laughs> yes, exactly. in some weird way. Right. So I think I think it's a combination of all these things. I think I think, you know, there's there's no there's no sort of grand solution to all of it. Um I think, you know, everyone's gonna have that experience of of seeing something strange and it could just be the imagination, right? Like there's not every single person who has a, an experience with something strange is, is actually having like an experience with something strange. 
Right. And some people who have experiences with something strange all the time, like legitimately may also just, you know, also have imaginary ones too. I mean, we all do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I, I, I think it's pretty complex. Um, but you know, yeah. in, in the case of, of, you know, um, your particular sightings or uh, sightings may not be the right word experiences. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, obviously, some of them definitely. You know, I, I, I wasn't there, so I, I don't know, and, and I can't tell you, you know, what the reality right. is. But um, you know, recognizing that, you know, often, you know, life is in a state of disarray, and then there's sort of a reaction to that, right? And it manifests mm-hmm. in some way. It's interesting. It, it would be really interesting to think, though, and this is where where things get weird is when it comes to let's say the monster, right? Um, uh-huh. So let's have, like let's just use the example of like the Mothman for example, because he's been a pretty hot topic in Chicago. Um, yeah. So let let's assume that you know our speculations are true that that mm-hmm. Kripal's right and that there is no disconnect between something being objectively real like a table and something being subjectively sort of imaginal um, like mm-hmm. you know you thinking about unicorns. If okay. the Mothman exists somewhere along the spectrum, does mm-hmm. that mean the Mothman though? has a mind of his own right mm-hmm. and this is this is the weird thing so so when when somebody experiences mothman and you know they think about it and it becomes real um and then mothman disappears and he comes back later somewhere else is it the mm-hmm. same mothman right like and does the right. moth, does the mothman have a mind in the sense that he remembers all those experiences and he understands himself to be both real and not real or does he not mm-hmm. know does he think he's real um and he just sort of pops in and out of existence, right? And he just doesn't know. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, are or are we are we basically creating a whole bunch of mothmen, right? That right. Are, that they sort of they're born and they die immediately, right? With with that experience. Mm. I see the mothman. There he is. He jumps off the building and flies away, and he disappears. You know, mothman's dead, and then we another one gets made, right? Or wow. is it the same mothman, right? in the sense mm-hmm. that it's the same, he has a, a mind of his own, let's say. Um, and we can talk about Bigfoot for this. We can talk about, you know, the UFO for this. We can talk about sort of any sort of monster. Um, wow. Do they, like, you know, like, do they have their own minds within this creation system? Um, mm. That's really interesting to think about. Um, yeah. Wow. Because if they you do, know... you know, you can't shoot them then. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, so... I know before, and I'm kind of going off topic here, but kind of not. Before when we were going to have you on, um, we were going to talk about injured cold. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just curious where, because I haven't been able to do a lot of research on him any or anything yet. Yeah. Uh, where does he fall on this spectrum? Is he also something that you think that, that can be just created with the mind and then right, go away yeah. and then come back? You know, it's interesting, right? Because the guy who who sort of, I guess, first bumped into the injured cold phenomenon um, uh-huh. was um, what's his name? Something Wood oh. Woodburger, something like that. So he's a sewing machine salesman or something. Um, uh-huh. He had sort of multiple experiences, or at least he had alleged multiple experiences. And again, you know, it depends who you ask or who you talk to. Some people say, you know, maybe the initial experience was real, and then af- uh-huh. everything thereafter was sort of made up. Um, mm-hmm. because he got press attention for it and Keel talked right. to him and it was a big deal. So he decided to make, to write, okay, he wrote a book, um, about injured cold and like allegedly this guy gets taken by cold to his home planet and, and cold is allegedly this alien 
um, from another world and um, he gets to visit with these people and they're all wonderful and peaceful people and they, they live, you know, these righteous, beautiful lives. And then even his daughter wrote a book um, wow. about how the family had experiences with these other people from the same sort of planet. I think it's called like Lanulia or something like that. I don't remember oh. off the top of my head. It's been so long since I've, but um, so the daughter then writes a book as well, sort of years later. Right. And she talks about these experiences too and how her family and she's gone to this planet and visited oh, these wow. people and whatever. So so the original sort of the original injured cold story from yeah. the first guy who actually saw it, it, it it's it's sort of ridiculous. Like when you actually like read the book um and you sort of um go through it, you're you're you kind of you depending on, on I guess your interpretation, you sort of look at it as one, the guy's just totally making all this up and it's total nonsense. Or mm um he is having some sort of series of like you know psychotic episodes where where t he thinks this is happening and and he's writing it all down or right. he's like on acid um <laughs> or or it's like real right and and right. there's a planet where where there's these people who have strange grins and they wear funny clothing like the like the people in the wizard of oz and mm. um, like because it's so fantastical right like it's so right. and it seems so contrived right like by today's standards you read that book and <laughs> you you're like this is silly right like right. um because again this guy was writing this book and he was sort of talking about sort of slightly futuristic technology, but he's talking about from a standpoint in the 1960s, right? Mm -hmm. So right. he's making predictions about where technology is going and what these people are like. And he's like way off, right? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like no one uses like steam powered, you know, uh, spaceships, you know? Right. Um, so it seems ridiculous. I think mm -hmm. if you look at though the injured cold phenomenon strictly sort of from Keel's interpretation and this is where things are interesting um, because a lot of us sort of don't want to go down the original the guy's interpretation because it seems so silly but if you stick uh -huh. with Keel and you kind of go through his stuff and his mm -hmm. interpretation of injured cold you know he, they, they, he does talk a little bit about sort of the alienness of him as if he is some sort of alien being but there's they, they he talks about a lot more that there's like a direct connection between him and the mothman as if they're part of the same phenomena um, right the mothman isn't cold according to keel and and cold isn't the mothman um but mm. they're they're almost part of the same um like right like almost like part of the same mythology or the same mythological sort of coin right um mm -hmm. you know if mothman is sort of the frightening beast um cold is sort of the the polite um sort of dr jekyll right to right. mr hyde that is the mothman um yeah um because they kind of show up at similar times mm -hmm. um you know there's been stories as well um i think this was actually in the daughter's book she makes the claim that cold was going not he was like chasing the mothman oh, not really? because the mothman was bad but i don't know like they were just like going after him for some reason and tracking him down yeah. or whatever so the mothman was was running from them and that's why he showed up on our world and huh. sort of the reconnaissance guy to go after him. like like again there's so many ridiculous stories right where this cold idea comes from um, right so wow. uh, and again right you almost like don't you almost don't want to believe like you almost don't want to go down the path of, of the family that had experiences with this guy because you're like it just seems so silly 
Um, right. But but I think injured cold is also kind of frightening in a sense, right? You know, he carries this sort of man, this strange grin, um, mm-hmm. and he speaks in this strange way, um, and even his name is is quite eerie and and has like even when you say his name, right? It yeah. Like, yeah, you know, it, it compels something, right? Like you, you, it's such an odd collection of, of sounds. Um, yes. and just the phrases are so symbolic and they mean so many different things. You're like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that for me, injured cold, at least when I wrote the blog post that sort of was the start of that conversation right. so many months ago or years ago, I guess a year ago. I don't know. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll find it and I'll put it on the, uh, yeah, sure. for me it was it was an it was an odd moment of of I guess synchronicity and and sort of tricksterism in that it was sort of came up, um, and I was just in a certain place in my in in my life where strange things not just strange things were happening, but I was just sort of having like these odd moments of of people communicating with me or talking to me and and messaging me or, or calling me and um, and then you know, this guy's name popping up a whole bunch of times. Um, and then like mm-hmm. Seth Breedlove giving me a copy of his, of his film to review oh, um, right. about the Mothman. And then it popped up right there. And I was, I was sitting there being like, holy crap, what the hell's going on? Like, how is this <laughs> happening to me right now? Um, right. So I decided to write an article just about how, how my interpretation maybe of the UFO phenomenon was, was shifting drastically from sort of something sort of concrete and physical to, to mm. something maybe a little more subjective and something a little more odd and, and uh, trickstery, let's say. Right. Yeah. So just a, an off question for you, just because I'm curious. I also asked Ryan um, uh, when he was he was live, and, and it's just, it's so interesting. Um, if you ended up, if somebody came to you, let's say the government or somebody of stature that was in the know came up to you and was like, Hey, aliens and UFOs are a hundred percent real. And you had, I mean, the proof it's right there. They take you, but you can never speak about it ever. What would you do from that point on with all the stuff that you, that you do and that you're interested in? I mean, what, where would you go from there? Right. So, okay, so we're assuming I believe everything I'm seeing? <laughs> yes. Like, this is not some uh, some big hoax that I'm being... Right, like, you can physically, you can touch it, you, they've showed you the proof, I mean, everything is 100%. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, so do I have an option here, or it's like, I have to see it, and I, and I cannot talk about it, or do I have... Ooh. You have uh, sure, yes, you have so the option. If, they say, "Would you like to see this?" But in exchange, you can't talk about it, right? Or you just you don't see it, and that's it. Yep. Yeah, man, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, huh. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, one, you'd have to trust the government. Um, I would also say that. Um, it would really depend on, on what they're showing me, right? Because my argument would be that there is no, um, like, when I think about UFOs, I don't necessarily think that we're dealing with, like, extraterrestrials from another planet. Like, we're not necessarily dealing with, like, space aliens. Like, I, I don't necessarily think that's what's ca- the cause of the UFO phenomenon. So, again, if they showed me, like, an alien body and, I'd, you know, and it was 100% real, would I sort of sit there and be like, okay, this is 100% proof that concludes that this is what is causing UFOs or are UFOs something else? And this is just one thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Is this one aspect of the phenomenon? 
uh, a dead alien. Um, but UFOs are actually like other things. You know what I mean? Um, right. I, I, God, it's such a tough question. <laughs> what did Ryan say? Um, he said, let's see if I can remember right. I think he said that, um, cause see, he didn't have the option though. He didn't have the option he, to see it so or let's not say, see it. Let's say, okay. So what, what, what was his answer then? Cause I, okay. Let's say I don't have an option anymore. <laughs> I have to. Like I am get I get dragged into Area 51 or something. I think that he would. I think what he, if I remember correctly, and, and he can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think he said that he would he would see it and and take in the information, but I think he said he wouldn't be able to hold back that information. Right, but you have to, as part of this deal. Right. I think that he would have just agreed to it and then and but he would still continue to do what he does now. Right. But okay. Okay, so I'm allowed to do that. I can basically just lie to them and say, "Yeah, yeah, I won't say anything and then I'm just going to say anything." Like Well, that was that was his decision. You have <laughs> You have to make your own choice. You don't know But the that. rules are changing. The rules are changing mid-game here, Jenny. I, I If I can do that, then I'll do that. Like if I don't know. Um if it was like they put an implant in my head so that anytime I think about aliens, I get an electric shock. Oh, then goodness. That's different. Um, I, I, don't be honest, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you because it seems so <laughs> out there that it would, it would never happen. Um, right. I, I don't know. It's a <laughs> Again, good question. Again, it's the what if. It's, it's, uh, you know, yeah, I like, to, I like to play with the what ifs. For sure. And, and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I can't answer your question. I don't know what I would do. I think I think if I knew the answer, like let's say if somebody said, "Here's the answer to like the UFO riddle." Here it uh-huh. is. Yeah. And it was perfect. Like it was like this beautiful perfect solution, right? Mm-hmm. That was so elegant. Um I think I'd probably just be like, "Okay, cool." And then I would go to my cabin and I would live out there for the rest of my life. And mm. I would never come back. You know what I mean? Like, I would be like, oh, there, there's the answer, right? I mean, yeah. it's like that X-Files episode that just came out, right? Where they, the alien gives them the book. Um, did you, did you, are you watching the new season of X-Files? <laughs> I want to. I haven't been able to yet, but it's okay. not going to spoil anything for me. No, no, so it won't. Because there's this one goofy, it, it's a goofy, like, fake. It's not real. Like, it, it doesn't happen. But anyway, this alien okay. shows up. And it's quite a silly <laughs> moment. And, it, and he hands them this book and says, this is the, this is the answer to everything. Like, like. If you're looking for the truth that's out there, it's in this book. And they hand him this book. And obviously, you know, Mulder's like, it was, it's all here. This is useless. You know, and he falls down crying because, you know, oh. they have the answer. Um, right. That's what it would be, right? Like, suddenly the hunt is over. So what's the point? Right. Ooh. You know, that is um, one of the things is a couple years ago, I can't remember. Um, what oh i can't remember what they're called but you know those rocks that would move across the desert and they they never knew why until recently <laughs> no i've never heard of it <laughs> okay well I'll, I'll have to i'll have to look it up but um it was just another one of those uh, world mysteries that okay. you know they just and they would leave these these um lines in this in the oh okay the, yeah yeah so they figured out why it does it. Why? And it do it? I don't remember. Oh, okay. Damn it. <laughs> I know. This is this is just a thought that just popped up in my head. But um sometimes it's actually it's really disappointing to find out 
the reason why behind stuff. You know, if they were to to just say, hey, the, the Bermuda Triangle, it's simply this, you right. know? Yeah, I definitely, so I think that there are things that I don't, I don't want to know because I want, I want to feel spooked. I want to feel mystified. Right. There's a, there's a great S- Simpsons episode. Um, you watch Simpsons? <laughs> yes, I've seen them. This is classic. So, um, uh, Homer gets an x-ray or whatever, and they, they find a crayon lodged in his brain. And <laughs> it's been there since he was a little kid. Um, oh. so, so the doctors remove the crayon. And he suddenly becomes, like, insanely intelligent, right? Right. Um, and he's very smart. <laughs> he's not the oaf he was, right? And, and uh, he starts walking around. And um, at one point, he goes, uh, he goes up to Flanders. Um, his neighbor and he hands him a piece of paper and says, you know, uh, on the, you know, I did you the favor on this paper. I, I, I've proven that God doesn't exist. Right. And he has oh. this piece of paper and there's like, I, we don't know what's on it. We never see it, but you know, like uh-huh. there it is the solution, right? Like this is evidence that God does not exist. And, and Flanders, all he does is like, well, can't let this get out. So he literally crumples the piece of paper up and eats it. Right. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> right. Um, and it's, it's so accurate. Right. I mean, Oh, you know, yeah. Flanders sort of takes one for the team and uh, is like, well, you know, <laughs> we can't let people see this. So he destroys it. Um, it's very funny. Uh, I, <laughs> the episode ends with Homer shoving something. They put the crown back um, on purpose. Right. So Homer becomes himself <laughs> again. But um, it's very it's very much like that, right? Imagine just sort of having the answer to everything. Um, mm-hmm. You would regret it, I think. I think you would you would wish you hadn't because... The mystery's gone, like you say, right? The the right. hunt is over. Um, yeah, no, I oh, agree with yeah. you there. So okay, <laughs> so so then that makes me ask or think of an, a, another question. Um, two things: if there was one mystery in the world, anything that you could pick from, that you definitely want to know, you would not feel disappointed at all. Number one, what would that be? And and number two, what would be the one mystery you just absolutely do not want the answer to? Oh man, like ever? Or, yeah, or, like ever, like, because you want to keep that mystery, right. that feeling. Ever assumes I'm alive. Like if I die, you know. Yeah, I want that. Okay. Oh man. Okay, so I would say, <laughs> hmm. yeah, I think the the. Well, I mean, it's my personal interest. So I would say, I think a mystery for me that like while I'm alive, uh-huh. that I would want to know that that wouldn't sort of ruin life, maybe, um, uh-huh. would be potentially like the whole UFO paranormal, mm-hmm. like, is it all connected? And is it like, is it aliens? Or is it not aliens? Just tell me what it is, right? Um, right. if there is one, like, if there's one grand unification of like the phenomena, right? Um, mm-hmm. What is that? That would be because at the end of the day, I'd be honest, if suddenly like UFOs left my life, like mm-hmm. I could move on, right? Like <laughs> just, I'd find another <laughs> hobby. Um, because I like, I find it academically interesting, but it's not like it governs my life. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoy, I enjoy talking about it, but I wouldn't say like I'm all consumed. I, I'm writing, I'm writing a book. So right now I'm all consumed, but once that book's published, pff, forget it. Um, <laughs> um, I think what I wouldn't want to know is like, like the big question, like what, like, why are we here? Like, you know, like I wouldn't want to know how the universe operates. I don't think not while I'm alive. Cause I think that would drive you crazy. Like, I think if you knew how the universe, 
like actually worked to the point where like you had like the intelligence of God, that would right. really mess you up um, because you're still human. Yeah. So I would, I would wait until, uh, you know, if I'm dead and then, mm-hmm. you know, God shows up and is like, here, this is how it works. Like, ah, oh, thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Um, but um, <laughs> right now as wow. a living, breathing person, I don't know if I want to know because I would, I'd be kind of afraid almost of all of that. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I agree. That's a really good one. Wow. Let wow. Mystery... Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Wait, so what's your book about? Um, so yeah, I'm in the middle of, of writing the book, so um, I'm not even done yet. Mm-hmm. The research is all basically finished, but uh, just the actual act of writing it. But um, my book's actually, it's about UFOs, but it's not about UFOs. Um, it's purely on sort of the people um, who make up the UFO subculture, the UFO community. Um, mm-hmm. So anyone who has sort of an interest in UFOs um, and, and explores that interest, um, if that's nice. sort of if that's what sort of defines the UFO community or or what, if we sort of look at what the UFO subculture is, if that's our definition, you know, it's the people Mm -hmm. who, who sort of have an interest in and pursuit of, of the UFO question. Um, And it's just about um, um, the subculture itself and, and, and um, how that subculture fits with other subcultures. Um, Is it even a subculture at all? Um, So it's really, it's a book about people. Um, It's Mm -hmm. It's a book about sort of the people within the UFO community. Um, nice. so I don't really, I'm not really trying to answer the UFO riddle. Um, I, I think that's impossible. I think, um, mm-hmm. but I can talk about the people and I can talk about sort of why we believe, uh, what we believe in when it comes to UFOs. Um, and, and why do certain mm-hmm. people bring certain ideas to the table, um, without any basis in sort of evidence, um, mm-hmm. and, um, sort of maybe where the UFO community is going to kind of head in the next few years. Um, and, and wow. it's just about that. It's just sort of. Um, the community itself. Oh, well, I love and, it. Yeah, it should be. I think it's going to be a sort of an interesting read um, because I'm not sure a lot of people have sort of done this this type of book before. So, well, thank you so much. No, thank you. This has been fun. 